What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, hey, yo, hold up, turn, t- turn me up in the headphones. You know, <laughs> you, so I have a question. And as always, I'm your host, Dominic Shirosky. I'm getting into some funnies real quick before we get into all of the stuff for today. Why do rappers say that? I feel like every rapper has done that. Hey, yo, turn me up in the headphones. You're up. We, we hear you. <laughs> you, you just rap. <laughs> we don't we don't need it. You know, everyone be doing that. Hey, yo, hold up. I can't. Yeah, take that bass out. No, we need that bass there. It's just do your part, okay? <laughs> we're we're the producers over here. You just you rap, okay? We we made this beat. We got it, okay? <laughs> but that's a totally different conversation. <laughs> this is a sports podcast. You all don't come here for my music takes, but I'll give them to you every once in a while. Um, that new Benny the Butcher project is amazing. Him and Harry Fraud knocked it out of the park. Uh, but what else is new? Um. But this is Instant Replay. Like I said, I'm your host, Dominic Shirosky. Thank you all so much for joining me today. And we have a ton of things to get into from college to the NFL to the NBA. MLB is going to be back real soon. Going to be getting into a lot of stuff today. So going to be getting into a lot. But we are going to start with a bit of controversy in the NCAA women's tournament, and that is because there was a little bit of disagreement about a non-call that could have affected the outcome of the game in this UConn versus Baylor matchup in the women's tournament just yesterday. So, to start, first things first, phenomenal game. I mean, Baylor versus UConn was an amazing game. I mean, like, absolute high-octane, super close the entire way through, which was actually really great because there were some other games that happened this past weekend that were kind of a snooze fest, like Gonzaga was... Gonzaga's going to win the title this year. They're just absolutely blowing teams out, but... This UConn versus Baylor game for the women's uh, women's tournament. Whew. Boy, was this amazing. You had... I mean, just everyone showed up, man. Carrington for Baylor putting up 22 points. Uh, you had Buecher uh, for UConn dropping 28. Like, it was a great game. Back and forth. Lead changed. Um, super competitive all the way through, but obviously we have to talk about what happened at the end because that's what everyone's paying attention to. So, how, how to, how to go about this one? Okay. So... Baylor's down by two points, 67 to 69. And there's a moment in the game, right? Baylor's coming down the floor. Um, that Well, the final score was 69 to 67. At the point, Baylor was down by one point. It was 68 to 67. Five seconds left. And Baylor guard, Dijanae Carrington, is driving down, pulls up for a shot, and UConn Husky uh, players Aaliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson Oda, Oduda, um, yeah, Olivia Nelson Oduda, um, go, both kind of swarm on her, and from what I saw, from what I saw, it was a foul. From what I saw. It should have been a foul. That should have been two free throws. And maybe this game ends in a different fashion. 
there was an on-call. No call. And UConn got the ball back. Christian, uh, Kristen Williams fouled. She made one, makes one free throw to put them up 69-67. There's only second left. Uh, and the Huskies went on to win. Baylor, like I said, only one second left. Couldn't really get a real shot. UConn wins. And from that point on, it has been just constant on the timeline of controversy. Everyone's questioning the call. And I agree. I 1,000% agree. Now, I also go to the point of, did was this a blown call? Absolutely. Could it have changed the outcome of the game? 1,000% it could have. But it also couldn't have. It's not a guarantee that, you know, it's not a guarantee that Carrington makes both of those free throws. It's not a guarantee that even if she does make both free throws, that UConn doesn't go down and hit a shot. But what's very clear is that there was a blown call. And it brings me back to the conversation that I that I have many times in just that, why... Why are referees so bad at their job? And you know, for and and when I say this, I don't necessarily think that when I say like why are referees so bad at their job? It's not that I'm asking referees to be perfect and to their credit, I would say probably like 70 to 80% of the time they do get the call correct. However, what I do mean when I say that why are refs so bad at their job, there are certain times where if everyone in the arena, if everyone who's watching can see it in real time too, like in real time, you knew that was a foul. She got fouled 100% by two players, actually. Um, I don't understand how you miss egregious, obvious calls. I don't get it. I do don't, like, I don't get it. And maybe if you're a ref, maybe in that situation, you feel like I don't want, like, I, I want to let them play because I don't want to change the outcome. Or maybe they feel like I bailed her out. I get that standpoint, but at the same time, you still got to do your job. And it's very clear. Carrington was fouled. They should have gotten two free throws. Maybe she makes both of them, and maybe Baylor goes on to win. But ev when everyone can see, like this, uh, like it's it's like in the NFL um, a couple years ago with the Rams and Saints game in the playoffs when one of the Saints wide receivers was just flat out tackled, tackled like was was Drew Brees throwing the ball up the sideline. One of the Rams defenders straight up just tackles the guy before the ball gets there. Was very obviously, clearly, blatantly a pass interference call. No flag was thrown. It's stuff like that that brings into question the referees. We don't expect referees to be perfect. But on the obvious calls, yeah, I kind of need you to get those 100% of the time. When it's blatantly, egregiously obvious yeah i need you to be perfect on those and this ref was not um so baylor i understand i understand uh if you're a baylor fan i understand for those players you feel just flat out terrible right now because you feel like you had a chance stripped away from you and they did they absolutely did and so I, I feel terrible for Baylor. Um, feel terrible for Carrington. Um, and it's just, it's moments like these. And then it's also worse because, you know, you're not really allowed to talk about the refs after the game. So you can't really tell people how you feel. Um, it's just, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. And. Like I said, it just I, I feel I feel for I feel 
for the Baylor Bears in this situation because it's like I said, it's it's a tough way to lose. It's a tough way to lose. It's a tough way to lose. It's it's terrible, but that's what happened. The refs have to get better. It's just plain and simple, man. Like on blatantly egregious, just obvious calls, you have to get that right a hundred percent of the time. When it's obvious, you have to get that right a hundred percent of the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to be perfect in all of the nuances. I know there's going to be certain things that are judgment calls. I get that. This wasn't a judgment call. You have her. You, Carrington literally got hit twice. Got hit as she was going up for her shot, getting hit on the elbow. They're jumping into her shooting space, not letting her land. Like, you could have called a foul three different times on this play. And now Baylor's going home. UConn is going to, like, its 16th straight Final Four. Uh, looks like Gino Oriema and the girls are going to do it again. Uh, might win the whole thing. We'll see. But it was just rough. It was rough. It's a rough way to lose. Um, now, granted, again, I also understand some of the people that will be like, hey, can't put this all on the refs because you shouldn't have put yourself in a position to for the ref to hold uh, your destiny in their hands. I get that. I get that argument, and it is a fair one. Um, and like I said, there's no guarantee that if they would have made this call, the outcome of the game changes. But you, it, it, it is in question, <laughs> right? Like, it is in question. So, blown call there, in my opinion. Baylor, you have every gripe. You have every reason to be upset. Um, and... It's a terrible way for your season to come to an end. So, I feel for you, Baylor. And UConn, you guys got lucky. I mean, UConn, you you all got... And that's also a part of this, too, is that UConn, it's Gino Oriema. It's UConn. UConn is the probably the most pulverizing um, program in all of uh, college uh, women's basketball. You kind of see the favoritism. That's also another thing that comes into it. It's like, if it, if we weren't playing UConn, we would have gotten that call. I'm sure Baylor probably feels like that too. So, a lot of stuff that went into it. Then, the other part, which took a wild turn, during the post-game press conferences, you have uh, Baylor head coach uh, Kim Mulkey coming out and basically saying that uh, the NCAA should do away with COVID testing for the Final Four. Super strange turn of events. And it... it I didn't know how to take this at first. Because at first I was like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> right? Like, no disrespect to uh, Coach Mulkey. Um, and obviously she's speaking right after a loss, so she probably is feeling emotional probably not thinking all the way through um kind of just going with the first things that come to her mind but what <laughs> because we're in the final four we should stop testing for covid Basic, and and for what a, for a lot of people what it kind of came across as was oh so because we're not playing anymore who cares about player safety it was like, yeah, my girls aren't aren't in here, so who cares? Um, that's kind of what it came across as. But she basically was sitting there and was just like, you know, it would be terrible if someone had to forfeit or if something had to get postponed or pushed back. Or God forbid, we had to shut the whole thing down because of some positive COVID testing. But I think you would get way more backlash from cuz then cuz what type of cuz that does send the message that all right yeah because these are you know the the big games player safety isn't important anymore and i was just i i couldn't believe it when she said it like when i saw like cuz that very quickly became the the talking point from this game it was like we were talking about the game we were talking about this missed call we were talking about whether or not you guys uh got hosed and then all of a sudden 
here you come with these controversial statements. And it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. It makes us forget completely about the game. Um, I think Kim Mulkey didn't really do her her uh, her team any justice there. Well, maybe she did, you know, took some fire off of the kids, took some fire off of the game and kind of put it on there to change everyone's uh, focus. But it was just some very interesting comments that Coach Mulkey had. Um, again, I don't agree with it. I think it's stupid. Um, no, we, we need to keep testing and we need to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that these kids are healthy and safe and yeah, like it's pretty simple. Like, I don't care that it's the final four. If listen, whether it was men's or women's basketball, if we have to shut down the tournament because there's a COVID outbreak, then so be it. Like I said, I am. I don't care about who wins the championship this year. I mean, I care, but not more than I care about the health and safety of all of these athletes. Um, so I was. It was just very interesting. And I'm. And what's even more interesting is that I'm. I'm almost a thousand percent sure that she's not the only coach that feels this way. I'm sure a lot of coaches would just be like, hey, can we just stop testing for COVID and just let these players go out there and play? If they have it, they have it. And let's just hope for the best. Like, I'm sure that, I'm sure uh, there's a ton of coaches that agree or align with uh, Kim Mulkey here. But like I said, I'm going to chalk this up to her being emotional and kind of just speaking the first thing that came to her mind without actually thinking about how it would sound or how it would come across. But anywho, that's what's going on in the women's tournament. Some blown calls, questionable comments from a coach afterwards. But all in all, women's tournament has been phenomenal. Been a ton of fun to watch. Um, now we get into the men's bracket. And... Like I said, very strangely, uh, for a tournament that has been so phenomenal so far, kind of was kind of was a little boring these this last weekend. There were like most of the games were pretty much blowouts, um, not a bunch of like you know heartbreakers or real close games. Uh, it was it was kind of. It seemed like every game kind of went by fairly easily. Um, and so we're going to be getting into... We're going to figure out who's going to be in the Final Four after tonight. Um, got a couple games. Uh, starting off later today. I'm trying I'm trying to make sure I get the uh, times right here. One second. Yeah, you got... Uh, oh, no, that's... There we go. Yep, so number one, Gonzaga t is taking on number six, USC, at 7.15. That's another thing. Why are... Well, I guess 7.15 isn't bad. Okay, I guess that makes sense. There were some games, though, like yesterday, that kind of were starting later, and it just didn't really make sense. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, number 11, UCLA, UCLA is going to take on Michigan um, at 9.57. Two really good games. I'm looking forward to the final four because I really I believe Gonzaga and Michigan will will move on and I want to see Gonzaga versus Michigan in the final four I think it's going to be a lot of fun I really do I really think it's going to be a ton of fun but like I said you know you had the sweet 16 and the elite eight coming on and so Saturday Oregon State defeated Loyola Chicago in an upset there uh Cameron Kurtwig, who has been uh, the big man in Loyola, Chicago, who looks like the one who looks like the one guy that's always picked last uh, to be on your pickup team if you're playing at like LA Fitness or the YMCA. But he's been a stud during this uh, run. Um, but Loyola, Chicago, their run comes to an end uh, after pulling off upsets. They get upset. Uh, they were actually, this is the first time I think in Loyola Chicago's history in the uh, tournament being favored, uh, being the higher seeded team. They were an eighth seeded uh, Loyola Chicago taking on 12th seeded Oregon State. 
and the game was close. Um, very a very it was, it was strange. Very defensive first half. Second half, both teams kind of started to find their groove. But Oregon State had just built up too much of a lead in the first half. It was an eight-point lead, and then the second half, the game was basically back and forth. Both teams scored over 40. Um, but Oregon State just built, had given themselves too much of a cushion uh, after the first half, and Loyola just couldn't make a run. Um, but sad to see Loyola Chicago go out, man. I was really enjoying them. Like I said, them, uh, Sister Jean, all of the stuff that they do. But Oregon State moved on. Obviously, in the men's men's uh, tournament, Baylor beats fifth seeded uh, number one seeded Baylor beat Villanova. Uh, sadly, one of one of the few close games that we had from the weekend, um, Oral Roberts, fifteen seeded Oral Roberts, finally fell. The Cinderella story came to an end uh, after leading in the first half. Actually, they were up, went into halftime up thirty five to twenty eight, um, but then Arkansas put up forty four in the second half. And was able to overcome Oral Roberts, winning seventy-two to seventy. It was, it was a great game, great game. Um, then you had Syracuse losing to uh, number two seeded Houston again. Not necessarily a close game. Wasn't a lot of close games this weekend. That's why I said, like, for a tournament that has been wild and back and forth and close games and all this other stuff. This weekend kind of was the first one where it was kind of a snooze fest just because <clears throat> it felt like, like I said, the games just the games just weren't close. Like, and then on Sunday, Gonzaga beat Creighton 83 to 65. You had Michigan beating Florida State 76 to 58. Upset, uh, the one upset was UCLA, or one of the upsets was UCLA, uh, 11 seed at UCLA beating Alabama by 10. They, that game went into overtime. That game was crazy. And you thought, when Alabama went and was able to send it into overtime, you thought maybe, okay, Alabama, they get it into overtime. This is where they're going to shine, right? Because typically that's what happens. Like, overtime is where underdogs go to die. Because if you're an underdog, you don't want to give the opposing team any extra time to figure out a way to beat you or overcome uh their struggles that they're having. Alabama was able to get it into overtime, and for whatever reason, UCLA found a way to pull it out. Alabama, because like I said, that when you're looking at it, everyone's looking like, oh, okay, Alabama's forcing overtime. They're probably going to take over the moment. They have all the momentum. No, UCLA absolutely ran rough shot over Alabama in that overtime, outscored them by 10 points, 23 to 13 in overtime to take an 88 to 78 victory. Uh, and UCLA moved on to the Elite Eight. And then you had six-seeded USC absolutely stomping Oregon, a uh, 82-68. Um, a huge first half for USC was really what kind of put an end to uh, Oregon. Uh, Oregon basically let themselves get down by 15 in the first half, and then the second half they were playing catch-up the whole game. Couldn't really make any headway. Um so USC defeats them there. Then we have Monday, Monday's games. Houston, close, really good game between Houston and Oregon State. Uh, Houston, again, same situation. Uh, Houston, first half incredible. 17-point lead. It was 34-17 to heading into the second half, but then Oregon State. Oregon State puts up 44 points in the second half, and they gave Houston all that they could handle. Houston was able to weather the storm. And they hold off Oregon State's huge comeback attempt. And Houston wins that game 67-61. to And this is actually Houston's first Final Four appearance since 1984. So, this Houston team is really good, man. I have to be honest, I did not think highly of this Houston team. I thought this Houston team was going to be one of the teams that could get upset early. Um, but they have... They've proven me wrong, and they've played very well um, as of recently, doing what they need to um, to get to this point. Not not getting uh, not falling prey to the upset bug that had been running rampant the first couple rounds um, in this tournament, 
And then obviously you had Baylor in Arkansas going at it. Baylor wins that one, 81 to 72. And then we have tonight's games. Like I said, with USC taking on Gonzaga and UCLA taking on Michigan. I think we're going to get Gonzaga and Michigan into the final four. And as crazy as it is, because you would think with all of this, uh, with all of the upsets and how crazy this tournament is, the final four is kind of a lot of chalk. And what I mean by that is the teams, you know, the higher seeded teams or the highest seeded teams have made it to the final four. Like, I believe Gonzaga and Michigan are going to win. And if that's the case, we're going to have three of the number one seeds in the final four. And the only the only uh, team that won't be a number one seed is Houston. And they're a number two seed. So for as wild as this tournament has been, the teams that were expected to be great, that were expected to be good, have shown up. Gonzaga has Gonzaga has been a wagon this entire March Madness, man. Like they look absolutely unstoppable. I ma- I did make a bracket because I only did two this year. I made a bracket where Gonzaga won the whole thing. Um, and I made one where Illinois won the whole thing. Um, the Illinois one was the one where I was just kind of being contrarian and everyone had Gonzaga winning, so I'm like, yeah, let's 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 just go the other way and see how things go. Very Quickly, I was proven that that was not the right idea. But uh, Gonzaga, I really, I'm, I'm betting the house on Gonzaga now to win this whole thing, um, and they have an opportunity to be one of the few teams that won and went undefeated uh, all the way through to win a title. So this Gonzaga team, man, is legit. Like I said, this Gonzaga team is legit. Can't wait to see how that all plays out for them. Um, but yeah, so those games are tonight. Like I said, Gonzaga taking on USC at 7.15 at around 10 o'clock. You have UCLA and Michigan. Uh, so good games going to be played tonight. Can't wait to see how those come out. Now, that's enough college basketball. We're going to move on to the NFL. And we're going to talk about a story that has been looming and that I haven't touched on too much because I've wanted to reserve my opinion and my thoughts until we got more and more truth and evidence and you know just some more of the facts were coming out so Deshaun Watson obviously we all know who Deshaun Watson is Uh, quarterback of the Houston Texans, or at this point could possibly end up being the former quarterback of the Houston Texans. Uh, Deshaun Watson has come out and publicly asked for a trade and has basically said that I will not wear a Houston Texans uniform ever again. He's done with the organization. He's done with the leadership. He wants no part of Houston. He does not want to be a Texan. He wants to go somewhere else. And so... It's hard to hear these stories because even this whole thing, because everything that we've heard about Deshaun Watson is that he is a phenomenal human being, high character, someone who's been through the struggle, someone who has overcome, someone who had a tough upbringing, worked hard to get to where he is, takes care of his family, takes care of friends, does a lot for the community. He's he's gotten a rep as he's a like one of the good guys, not just like someone who's like, like a cool, like, no, like he's like goes above and beyond, like goes beyond the call of duty and like really, um, is a, is a, um, I guess role model for the community, right? Like someone you can look up to someone that you can be proud to say that you're a fan of them, right? That's all that we've ever heard about Sean Watson. So. These cases that have come up are very interesting to me. So, for those of you who don't know, about a month ago, it was announced that a lawsuit was being brought forth against Deshaun Watson for sexual assault. 
it was a civil case and everything kind of came out um just you know it's a civil case we have no evidence that it was true other than just taking the young woman uh, for her word. Um, the woman claims that she is a masseuse and she was booked to work with Deshaun Watson and he was very sexually aggressive, um, asking her or forcing her to do things. Um, just very disturbing behavior. And now, more and more and more cases keep coming up. More women keep coming forward. And the number now has actually reached 19 total cases. And like I said, I've, I've wanted to hold my opinion until we got some facts. Um, Sports Illustrated released an article um, with a woman who is remaining anonymous. Um, basically, she's not bringing charges. She's not one of the individuals who has filed uh, a lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. But she did basically was kind of corroborating the story of the other women saying that, yeah, no, um, he is, I've worked with him before and he is sexually aggressive. He is um, a predator, basically. And so all of this stuff is coming up. And like I said, I've reserved my opinion because I am someone who I want to get all the facts first. So everything has come out now, and I feel like I just can't hold off anymore. Like, I've been trying not to talk about this story just because, like I said, I do want the full story, I want all the facts. I'm going to be honest here. And some people may not like my opinion. That's completely fine. I understand. I do not believe a single one of these cases or a single one of these claims. Um, I think the timing of it is very, very, very interesting. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that all of this is happening the moment Deshaun Watson is trying to leave Houston. I do not put it past the Houston Texans organization to have tried to stir this up, to try and tank Deshaun Watson's uh, leverage as far as him trying to force a trade. Not saying that this is what's happening, right? And if I am wrong, I will wholeheartedly take back and a speak the truth, but all of this seems very strange to me. The fact that they're all civil cases, which I I guess you can agree that sometimes that is the best course of action because it's sometimes harder, especially for some of these cases their women are saying that these incidents happened in 2019. It's kind of hard to prove that two years afterwards, like it's hard to bring criminal charges for sexual assault two years after the assault happened just because, you know, the evidence there's like, it's very hard to obtain real evidence of it. So a civil case usually is the route that people go. Um, but I just from everything that we have heard about Deshaun Watson, and like I said, I have obviously never met him. Don't know him from like, have no real indication of who he is as a person from like personal interactions, but from what I've seen and from what I've heard people who have had personal interactions with him speak about or speak, speak up when they speak of him, they always speak of Deshaun Watson. Very rarely do you hear Deshaun Watson. Like when people talk about Deshaun Watson, yes, football is there, but very rarely are people praising him for football, which by the way, he is a phenomenal quarterback. I've said it many times. He's probably, uh, in my opinion, one of the four elite quarterbacks in the league. He's one of the four best quarterbacks in the NFL. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Um, but a lot of the times, I always thought it spoke a lot to his character when people would speak about him, and it very rarely they were praising what he does on the football field. Like, that's a part of it, but then they would immediately get into, he's a phenomenal person. Like, his leadership, 
uh, his honesty, his the way he gives to the community, like all of this stuff. And so it's very hard for me to sit back and take all of this at face value. I'm also someone who, firm believer, you are innocent until proven guilty. As of right now, all of these are accusations. And Watson and his team have come out and repeated basically that none of this is true. This is all fake. Um, One of his attorneys has actually come out and said we have evidence that at the very least, one of these claims is from someone who was just trying to extort him. um, And their case could actually coincide with a couple of the other claims that have been brought up. I do want to see the end of this story. And I really, really, really hope that Deshaun Watson, that this stuff about Deshaun Watson is not true. I really do. Um, but it's, it's at this point, it's just too big to not talk about again. Watson has publicly denied any wrongdoing. Um, basically saying I've treated women with nothing but respect. Any allegation that I forced a woman to commit a sexual act is completely false. I, I just, again, my opinion from what I know about Deshaun Watson, this just seems so far out of character. Now, granted, you have no idea what people do behind closed doors, but As of right now, from what I know and from what I've seen and from what I get the feeling of for this situation, I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe that this is what he was doing. I think that this is some people trying. I feel like this is a tactic either by the Texans organization trying to dock his trade value or this is people just trying to extort him for money, um, trying to take advantage of the young man. But like I said, we will see. We shall see um, what happens here. I'm going to be paying a very, very, very close eye um, on this situation. And like I said, I hope I hope Deshaun Watson is being truthful when he says that you know he never forced anyone to do anything. Um, that he's treated women with nothing but respect. Um, I really, really hope that that is the case. But We'll keep our eye on that um, because I am paying very close attention to that story. So moving on from some of the heavier stuff, there was some very important moves made in the NFL recently, uh, mainly that deal with the draft. And there are some, there are some, uh, some ripples that are going to be caused because of these moves. So, Originally, the Dolphins were sitting at third overall in the draft, and we got big news on Friday, literally about an hour after I had stopped, uh, after I had finished Friday's episode of the pod. Um, It came out that the Dolphins and the 49ers were making a trade, that the 49ers were sending, you know, multiple first round picks and a third round pick uh, to the Dolphins to move up from 12 to third overall so the Dolphins moved back from three to 12 and then the Dolphins about an hour after making that trade with the 49ers made another trade with the Philadelphia Eagles so the Dolphins could move back up to six and the Eagles could fall back to 12 so basically Dolphins 49ers make a trade, 49ers jump to 3, Dolphins fall to 12, then the Dolphins and the Eagles make a trade, Dolphins jump to 6, Eagles fall to 12. We got all that covered. Cool. So, what does this mean? First things first, let's look at what happens for the Dolphins. If you're the Dolphins, you pick up draft capital, and you still stay in the top 10. Phenomenal, phenomenal moving by the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they have... And all of this goes back, the Dolphins, listen, the Dolphins' management, as far as their general managers, and the way that they've played this gaining draft capital and trades has been phenomenal. They've basically, because people forget, um, all of this basically started with the trade of Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil was a guy who was an offensive lineman who was supposed to be 
a top five pick a couple years ago. There was a video that came out of him uh, basically smoking weed and teams freaked out about it. And then there was some some leaked uh, news about him possibly taking money while he was in college to help, you know, keep his keep the lights on with his parents so that way they could pay bills. Basically, that caused his uh, stock to fall, and he fell in the draft. The Dolphins ended up selecting him at like 13th overall when he should have been a top five pick. The Dolphins take him. He plays well for the Dolphins, and the Dolphins end up trading him to the Houston Texans for like two first-round picks. And then they have now traded one of those picks to the 40. They basically traded, like when you look at what the Dolphins essentially got for Laramie Tunsil, it's like four first round picks that they got for him when when you look at how everything kind of played out. They, the Dolphins organization has done a phenomenal job building this team and making really great trades. So shout out to them. They fall back, pick up more draft capital and still stay and then make another trade to stay into the top 10. Still, you still added some more picks and you still are going to be in a prime position to get one of the top uh, receiving options or weapons in this draft class, which is what you really need. Dolphins, this is A plus work. You all, you all, like this is draft day, like the movie type stuff with uh, Kevin Costner. Like they've made phenomenal moves, right? So A plus for the Dolphins. For the 49ers. What does this mean for us? Well, it's hard to grade the 49ers here because we have to see what they are going to do with that third pick and what that third pick ends up doing when in their career. Now, very obviously, what are the 49ers going to do with the third pick overall in the draft now? Well, let's just be completely honest. You're not jumping up from 12 to 3 to pick anything other than a quarterback. It's just the truth. The 49ers sat back. And I think Kyle Shanahan looked around and said, Jimmy Garoppolo, kind of over you. Just being completely honest. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo cost them a Super Bowl. Plain and simple. Jimmy Garoppolo had Emmanuel Sanders wide open down the field to score a touchdown that could have ended the game. San Francisco would have won the title would have stopped the talk of the Kansas City Chiefs possibly building a dynasty. Um, but he missed him, and Chiefs went on to win. And then ever since then, Jimmy Garoppolo has kind of been injured too. And I think Kyle Shanahan kind of realizes that Jimmy Garoppolo, even with as great of a team as we have around him, even with my extremely quarterback-friendly system, where I make a lot of guys look good. Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the guy. So the 49ers are trading up to three to get a quarterback. Now, who will that quarterback be? It's almost, for at this point, it's a 1,000% sure, 1,000% uh, sure, what's the word that I'm looking for? Well, anywhom, it's a guarantee that <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is going to be taken number one overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, hell, the coach, Urban Meyer, basically kind of said it, <laughs> basically, in an uh, interview uh, yesterday where he was like, yeah, we're headed towards taking Lawrence at number one. Like, he was, like, he they were like, what are you going to do? And he's like, it looks like we're headed towards taking Trevor Lawrence number one. That It looks like that's the direction we're headed in, um, which is no surprise. Like I said, we knew that. Then you have... The Jets at number two. The real question right now is, what are the Jets going to do? Are they going to trade Sam Donald away? Are they going to trade that number two pick away? And, you know, pass up on Zach Wilson, keep Sam Donald, get a bunch of draft capital. I don't think that's the option anymore because if they... I think if they were seriously considering trading or uh, keeping Sam Donald, they would have made this trade with San Francisco. Pick up three first-round picks. You're still in the top 15. Uh, you get an additional third-rounder. You keep Sam Darnold. Like, if they were going to keep Sam Darnold, I think they would have been the ones to make this trade with the 49ers. The fact that they didn't tells me, okay, Sam Darnold's probably going to end up getting traded, and Zach Wilson is going to be the selection at number two. Um, so Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are probably going to go one and two. So that means that the 49ers 
have a couple ways that they can go. There are three other quarterbacks that they could select. That's Justin Fields. That's Trey Lance. And then I've seen some people say Mac Jones. Let me say this. John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan. If you all traded up from 12 to 3 to get Mac Jones, you need to be fired. I don't care how good of a job you've been doing as of recently. Mac Jones, you could have stayed at 12 and still gotten Mac Jones. I do not think Mac Jones is going to be selected in the top 10. I don't think many teams grade him there, and I think a lot of teams that want Mac Jones are going to sit there and kind of feel like we can probably wait it out. Because I don't think Mac Jones is getting selected in the top 10. I don't think anyone was seriously considering drafting him in the top 10. So if the 49ers are going to do that, that's ridiculous. You gave up a lot of draft capital for a guy that you probably could have stayed at 12 to get, to be completely honest. But it's either Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. I don't think it's Mac Jones. Even though they do seem to be very intrigued by him, they have gone to his pro days and you know, went to go check him out. Like Alabama and Ohio State actually are both having pro days today. Mac Jones will be there. Um, Justin Fields will be there at Ohio State. So, you know, it's... I don't think it's going to be Mac Jones, but they're taking somebody. Who are they taking? In my opinion, it's Trey Lance, and here's why. The 49ers, after making this trade, by the way, came out and said, hey, we have no interest in trading Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, that's interesting. Why would they do that? If you're making a trade up to three, you're doing it to select a quarterback. And if you're selecting a quarterback that high, he's going to be expected to come in rather quickly and change this organization. That leads me to believe the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the team. And they've said he's on the team He's going to be our guy for this year, basically, is what they said. I think this is Jimmy Garoppolo's last year in San Francisco, and I think I think they're keeping him for two reasons. One, because when this team gets healthy next year, they're going to have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. That's how good this roster is. That's how good Kyle Shanahan is. Like, I think people forget just how I don't. And no team was as snake bitten this year as the San Francisco 49ers was like they got the injury bug and lost literally key guy, top player after top player for the entire season. Like it wasn't like some guys just missed, you know, three or four games. No, like Jimmy Garoppolo missed basically the entire season. Nick Bosa got hurt like week one, George Kittle missed like 10 games this year. Um, So, you know, it, it was a lot that the 49ers were dealing with this year. Um, This team is going to be healthy next year. And, you think the last time they were healthy, they went to the Super Bowl and almost beat Kansas City. So I think they're going to run it back with Jimmy one more year because we have an opportunity to win. We've went to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and for three quarters it looked like we were going to win a Super Bowl with him. So I think they keep Jimmy Garoppolo because they do still feel like, hey, we still got a chance to win one here. Why not keep him? Why not keep him around? Because he's going to give us the best chance to win one as opposed to Uh, a rookie who's going to have to be doing a lot of learning and no rookie quarterback has ever taken a team to has taken a team to a Super Bowl and won it it's better to keep the veteran guy in there for at least another year also I think they're keeping Jimmy around because the individual they want needs to be developed and that makes me feel like it's Trey Lance Trey Lance is a North Dakota State University product. And they play a pro-style offense, which is one of the things I really like about that offense is one of the big reasons why I like Carson Wentz when he was coming out of school, um, was that offense is pro-style. Like, he's under center. He's in shotgun. Like, they teach you how to read defenses. Like, they run a pro-style offense. Now, Trey Lance has a ton of things to work on. He's athletically gifted, has a big arm, strong body, mobile, a lot of things, like he checks a lot of the boxes, but he needs to be developed. He's someone who he will 1000% benefit from sitting down for a year, holding a clipboard, learning from Kyle Shanahan, watching someone else do it for firsthand. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is about to get the Alex Smith treatment. Um, What do I mean by that? The Kansas City Chiefs traded up to draft Patrick Mahomes, then went out 
benched him basically, kind of redshirted him for his rookie season, played him the last game of the year just to get his feet wet. And then they saw what he did in the game and basically was just like, yeah, uh, Alex, we've seen enough. <laughs> We're going to move on with, uh, with, with the young gun, Patrick Mahomes here. And thank you for your services. We're going to go ahead and let you go or we're going to trade you out. I think that's what's going to happen in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they're keeping Jimmy for one more year because they know they're going to need to develop Trey Lance. They want him to get comfortable in this offense. They want him to learn firsthand how to be an NFL quarterback um, and go from there. But seems like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be out. Um, whether he's traded or eventually released, we will see. But the 49ers are looking to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. That is very clear with their moves this this uh past weekend so we'll see what happens with san francisco like i said i believe it's trey lance um i have to update uh, my mock draft now mock draft 2.0 will be coming out uh sometime this week so we'll get in on that but we'll see um on the other side of this you have the philadelphia eagles and if you're the eagles a couple things here for the eagles um, this shows that the Eagles, I think, are committed to Jalen Hurts being the guy for a year. I think that by trading down from 6 to 12 and picking up some draft capital, this shows, okay, Jalen, we're going to put some pieces around you, and you're going to have a legitimate shot at being the starter this year. We're going to see exactly what you have. Um, and I think that's a good move. I like Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts can be a good quarterback in the NFL. I think he can be starter level. I think you can win with Jalen Hurts. I like his mobility. I like his head smarts. He's a, he's a very smart player. High football IQ. Um, doesn't have the biggest arm and all that other stuff. But you put some pieces around him, and I think you will see him flourish. Um, so I like that the Eagles are going to take some pressure off of him and give him an opportunity to showcase his talents and have a real shot at winning this starting job and proving that he deserves it. So we'll see. Also the Eagles, because with this trade and then depending on what happens, Liza, this is again, an A plus move for the Eagles because you fall back. You still are in a position at 12 where you can get, I believe either a Kyle Pitts or a Jalen Waddle or maybe a Devonte Smith. Like I still believe the Eagles are in prime position to get one of those guys. Um, and then depending on what happens with Carson Wentz, depending on how many games and how well Carson Wentz plays um, with the Indianapolis Colts, they can get a compens compensatory pick for that because you know obviously you're trading away a guy who was on a max contract, a guy that you spent a lot of capital to get. It's one of the things that kind of happens sometimes with star players when a team loses it. Sometimes they get a compensatory pick back from the NFL for losing a player of that caliber, depending on how everything goes in Indianapolis, the Philadelphia Eagles could have three first round picks next year. So the Eagles for an organization that looked like they were an absolute dumpster fire made a great move here and looked like they could very quickly turn this thing around. We shall see. Um, but I'm happy that it looks like they're going to give Jalen Hurts a real opportunity to try and get some talent around him so that way they can build some success. So super excited, man. The NFL just keeps delivering. I cannot wait for the draft. Um, I'm just waiting for the end of April at this point. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I love the NFL draft. I say it all the time. The NFL draft is my favorite sporting event every single year without question. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that a lot. Quick NBA talk, a little bit of basketball talk before we get out of here. Um, I want to address a conversation that I've seen pop up a lot now. And it's come up recently with the Brooklyn Nets about buying a championship. And this narrative came out after we've kind of seen all of the moves that the Nets have made. So just to recap, the Brooklyn Nets traded for Kyrie Irving last year. Signed Kevin Durant in free agency. Signed DeAndre Jordan. Traded for James Harden. Blake Griffin buys out of his contract with the Detroit Pistons. They signed Blake Griffin. LaMarcus Aldridge bought out of his contract with the San Antonio Spurs. 
and he goes and signs with the Nets. And now everyone is just after, you know, this, and <laughs> it's a lot of LeBron fans, which is very ironic to me. We're going to get to that point in a minute. Um, talking about, oh, the, the, the Nets are just trying to buy their way to a championship. They're just acquiring all the great players. Funny to me because I swear for like the last couple of years on Twitter, all I've seen is how Blake Griffin is done and how he's a, and how he's washed now and that LaMarcus Aldridge, like, I feel like everyone's just looking at the name value and thinking like, oh, the Nets are getting like, like they're building the monsters. Like, not really. Like LaMarcus Aldridge is a guy who, yes, he's still very good, but let's just be honest. He hasn't been great for a while now. Like in all honesty, LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't a great player really ever since he got traded to San Antonio. Like, he's been really good. Now, at this advanced point in his career, with his age, he's a guy who, listen, LaMarcus Aldridge will always have that mid-range shot. His mid-range shot is absolute butter. But at this point, LaMarcus Aldridge is a guy who's getting you, like, 15 points and 6 rebounds. Blake Griffin has a little bit more upside. But even Blake Griffin, like, after injuries, he's not the high flyer that he was. Um, well, I think, like, in his debut, he had a dunk, which was, like, the first time... <laughs> he dunked in like two years like legitimately like that was his first dunk since like 2019 um and Blake Griffin even kind of pointed out is like everyone's getting mad at us at the Nets for signing us and saying that you know like everything's unfair now because you know we're stacking up all this talent but for the past couple of years all I've heard was people talk about how bad I was um but this narrative that the Nets are buying a championship I do agree that that is what they're doing. I don't like these types of moves. I hate uh, this notion of guys going out and we're going to get three or four of the best players in the league on one team and basically just stack the deck in our favor so much that it's almost impossible for us to not win a championship. I hate it. I think it makes the league boring. Um, I hate the kind of predictability like at this point it's a guarantee that we're going to get nets and lakers in the finals more than likely right because the lakers also by the way something that the lebron fans won't mention when it comes to buying a narrative uh, or the narrative of buying a championship uh the lakers after andre drummond came to uh terms on a buyout with the cleveland cavaliers andre drummond is signing with the los angeles lakers so now you're going to have lebron ad two 80s actually LeBron Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond on one team two of the best big men in the league with one of the greatest players of all time sounds kind of unfair to me too right like this narrative of buying a championship though like I that's the narrative I want to talk about because I agree with it and I do think it is something that is ruining the league our super team's fun Yes, like let's, I will be honest. Yes, it's fun to watch a super team play because you just look at the amount of talent. It's like, man, they can play really high level basketball, right? Like for as much as I hated Kevin Durant going to the Golden State Warriors, it was at, it was fun to watch them play. Not even like caring about whether or not they won or lost. Like I knew they were going to win a championship, but just watching them play, it was fun. Because like I said, it was just like, you knew you were looking at basketball being played at its peak with that Warriors team. Um, and it kind of feels like you're going to get that with this Brooklyn Nets squad with a team now that literally their starting lineup can be James Harden at the one, Kyrie at the two, KD is going to be at the three. They can have Blake Griffin at the four and LaMarcus Aldridge at the five, right? Like that's a, tough starting lineup um it does seem like the nets are trying to buy their way to a championship um but like i said the lakers kind of did the same thing they traded the house to get you know they went out and signed lebron and then they trade the farm for anthony davis and now they're signing andre drummond like this is something that has kind of become popular in the league and by the way every organization buys a championship by the way like no team that was like, hey, outside of like a few teams like the Detroit Pistons, who were like a bunch of guys who none of them were really superstars, but you had a bunch of guys that just played really tough and were really great defensively. And you just had a bunch of guys who were phenomenal uh, role players that came up in the clutch. Outside of a few teams like that, 
name me the one team that like is paying, you know, way under the salary cap or isn't going into the luxury tax to win a championship. Like most of the teams that win championships are the teams that spend a lot of money. It, it, it just tends to happen. Um, but I do agree that this idea of, I, I understand organizations trying to do it. I hate the idea of players doing it. I hate the idea of players all coming together. Like I, like that's, that was one of the things that I hated about the Miami heat team. Um, as opposed to the Boston Celtics team, because that's something that one, some people bring up is that, oh, well the Boston Celtics built their big three. And it's like, yeah, but that wasn't players coming together and being like, Hey, you know, like that was, that was the organization making moves. That's what the organization is supposed to do. It just kind of worked out in their favor. And I do understand where some people are like, oh, so you're fine with organizations doing it, but not players. And I would say, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually I am. Because that's what the organization is supposed to do. I hate the idea of the best players in the world. Again, which is one of the big reasons why I hated uh, the Miami Heat team. One of the big reasons why I hated the Golden State Warriors team. It's one of the reasons why I'm not really a big fan of this Brooklyn Nets team. Is because I hate this idea of the best players in the world coming together and saying, hey, why don't we all just team up so that way we can ensure we'll win a championship. I, I, I'm someone who has always loved competition. I love competition. I'm super competitive. I love competing. I love seeing parity in the league. And it's something that we just don't have anymore. It's something we don't have anymore because so many guys have this mentality of, I want to play with other great players so that way I stack the deck in my favor to win a championship as opposed to wanting to beat the other great players. It's one of the reasons why guys like Jimmy Butler and Damian Lillard are some of my favorite players in the league. Because Jimmy Butler is going to be a leader and he's going to go out there with the group that he has. Jimmy doesn't want to go and play with LeBron. He wants to beat LeBron. Damian Lillard, I don't want to go play with Steph. I want to beat Steph. And that's why guys like that are my favorite players in the league. Um, I really hope this super team era, superstars, meeting up during the offseason, planning to all go to one squad. I hope it ends because, quite honestly, I don't think it's good for the league. You can call me old school. You can call me a hater. You can call me what you want. At the end of the day, this is lame. <laughs> Point blank period. This is lame. Because, like I said, like with this net squad, man, like realistically, we all know it's going to be Nets and Lakers in the finals. Now... Is it going to make for a great finals? Absolutely. If we get Nets and when we get, not if, when we get Brooklyn versus LA in the finals, Kevin Durant and his squad, yeah, Kevin Durant and the Monstars and his squad going up against LeBron and the Twin Towers, like it's going to be awesome. But like I said, I just. It makes so much of the rest of the regular season, which a lot of people already don't pay attention to. It makes so much of the rest of the season irrelevant because I know what's going to happen. It was one of the reasons why I hated, oh my gosh, like the last, not counting these last two years, but like that nine year stretch where it was basically just like, yeah, LeBron's going to make it to the finals. And then like, it was just that stretch where it's like, yeah, so it's going to be the Cavs and the Warriors in the finals we already know Warriors are going to win, right? Like I hated that because it took out, it took out the excitement for me. I hope we get back to embracing competition as opposed to embracing uh, this idea of winning together. I want to beat the best, not play with the best, but that's just me. Like I said, I'm an old soul. I've always said this. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to be born in like the 70s, but it is what it is. Um, hmm. If I was born in the 70s. Hmm. Man, oh man. Anywho. <laughs> but that is all that we have for you today on this episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Sharosky. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you like today's episode, 
like it, share it, all that other good stuff. Tell a friend to tell a friend. If you didn't like this episode, just act like it didn't happen. And of course, I always leave you all with a quote. Kobe Bryant once said, no one hates the good ones. They only hate the great ones. So go out there, make some new haters. I will see you all on Friday.